We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. The Patriots are once again Super Bowl champions. Todd Gurley has gone missing and where should Sony Michelle go in 2019 drafts? We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio. I'm joined tonight by Blair Andrews, the managing editor at Rotoviz. Friedman is currently in Texas, and uh, apparently he could not overcome some logistical challenges. But I'd say that we are possibly trading up tonight. Uh, Blair, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well. Um, if the sole basis for making your evaluation is uh, our respective availability tonight, then yes, I am an improvement over Friedman. <laughs> Otherwise, I think you overpaid. Well, you know, I, I mean, I'll take what I can get, but I'm excited that uh, we, we have you on tonight. Two editors to go alongside. Uh, and I actually, seeing as Friedman now has been a routine member of the podcast, unlike it was, unlike he was when we first started. Uh, you know, I can now see what it's like to uh, get another one of you editors into the show. I think we got to start off real quickly. Uh, high level thoughts of the game last night. Did you have fun watching it? Uh, I did not have fun watching it. I think if you're a big fan of punters and punting, it was probably one of the best games you've ever seen. Um, if you're a regular football fan who likes touchdowns and scoring, then it's uh, hard to imagine you could have had fun. I guess... I'm really curious to know what you thought about it as a uh, New Englander. I have to be honest. I actually thought that it was a pretty boring game, mainly when you contrast what went on in this game with the two games that we saw uh, two weekends ago with that great game between the Patriots and the Chiefs. And obviously you had all of the drama in the Rams Saints game and throughout the season, there were a number of great matchups, a couple of awesome Monday night, Sunday nighters, so many points being scored that this game really kind of fell flat. And I have watched games before that I've really enjoyed that have been those defensive struggles, but even having a team in this game, it almost felt in many respects like the game never even really started. I guess perhaps you started to feel like it when there was about four minutes left. Um, <laughs> but like, I felt like, especially 
you know, if you're not somebody with a rooting interest, this game was probably very boring to watch, especially for most of the audience out there that are not routinely watching football. But even with a team in this game, I, um, I enjoyed it in that regard, but for pure like entertainment, I don't think it had it. Um, so actually like if you had to put this on a scale of one to 10 with one being the most boring game of football you've ever watched and 10 being the most exciting, where do you think last night's game fell? <laughs> um, I would say it's on some plane of existence where these numerical scales don't <laughs> apply. Yeah, I would say it was probably like a two or a three. If even like, a- yeah, I mean, for being a Super Bowl, um, I mean, especially given the Super Bowls we've seen recently that the Patriots have played in, uh, you know, when you compare it to those, you have to go with one. Just, I mean, this is so, so uh, far below what uh, what we have seen the last two years when uh, the Patriots have been in the Super Bowl. So um, pretty disappointing really makes you, uh, <laughs> I mean, me at least makes me uh, really regret not seeing the, uh, not being able to see the Chiefs in uh, the Super Bowl. I know maybe you feel differently about that, but yeah, I mean, I think it would have been interesting to see a Chiefs Rams, which feels like that would have been a shootout in the Super Bowl. We might get into a little bit um, of what happened in particular on the defensive side of the ball for New England, but uh, the Rams were really stymied and we did not get to see golf or really much of this offense put anything together. So I think that a matchup with the Chiefs in there, who I have to imagine would have injected some offense into this game, would have been more exciting. And I think the, the funniest part about this is if this was a uh, regular week, you'd have Julian Edelman putting up 25 points in PPR, Brandon Cooks at 20, Michelle at 15, Gronk at 14. And from there, we really trail off. Robert Woods at 12. So if you were watching this for fantasy purposes, this was not much of a contest. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I think we'll maybe talk about this a little later. I had one, one showdown team in play with actually James White in the captain slot, and that did not work out so well. Uh, he's someone who's been a Super Bowl hero the last few years, but really had just, I mean... I think he scored. He ended up getting like two points as a captain. So you can know how his actual guy was. Yeah, actually, I'm going to take a quick look at that. And I have to keep scrolling down the list of participants from last night's game to even find him. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, James White. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I can even remember the last time I looked at a stat sheet for him. That was this bear. I think just five yards on one reception. It's interesting because I know that Mm -hmm. a... uh, a popular prop bet was James White, um, six and a half receptions. I actually took the under, but I can imagine there's a lot of people out there that took the over given what we had seen from him the last couple of weeks. No, I was just going to say it's, um, it's almost very much like the Patriots to, to kind of <laughs> set up the whole postseason as if they're doing one thing and then do a complete 180 in the Super Bowl. So, um, Almost not a big surprise, but, uh, you know, just with how hard it is to predict these Patriots running backs anyway. But, yeah, still disappointing and um, and yeah, really still even shocking that uh, he couldn't have a bigger impact. Yeah, for sure. So one of the things I think um, that was surprising to me was just how good the Patriots defense was now. You know, I've heard a lot of talk about some of the things that they did to really make things hard for golf, um, showing a lot of different looks than they had as the season went or, or, you know, like that they had during 2018. So a lot of the things that he would have seen on tape weren't playing out in the game, switching between man, going to more zone. And they were lining up in certain schemes. And then when the play actually started, they were kind of switching them up, which probably translated to the confusion that it looked like he was sometimes displaying. He's a quarterback that holds on to the ball for a long time if you look at the next-gen stats. But last night, you know, he was really struggling to get the ball off. For you, were you more surprised at how good the Patriots' defense looked or how poorly Goff appeared to play? Granted, I think that whole offense struggled and, you know, might it's not all on Goff. I think coaching certainly played a role. Yeah, it's certainly not all on Goff. I think we saw down the stretch in the regular season, he had a lot of these 
kind of poor performances. Um, if you owned him in any, uh, in the fantasy playoffs, you probably know all about that. Um, uh, if you were trying to start him, um, so that's not that surprising to me that he would have a game like this. I think that is probably within the range of outcomes we should expect for him. Um, and even the Patriots defense looking good is not necessarily a surprise. I think, uh, you know, they have given up a lot of points in the postseason, and they kind of are known to play this, you know, bend but don't break defense that can uh, get beat and can give up a lot of points at times. But, um, yeah, like you said, I think uh, just coming in, preparing for the game, I mean, it's well known that, like, um, the Rams like to get to the line quick and uh, give McVay a chance to see the play and actually talk to Goff in his ear before the uh, communication shuts off at 15 seconds. And uh, one thing I have read is that the Patriots would be coming in with two plays and they would actually switch after 15 seconds. So whatever McVay had said would kind of be <laughs> kind of go out the window. So uh, Goff was really on his own, uh, which uh, maybe is something new uh, for him. Maybe he's not had to deal with that a lot. So yeah, um, I don't know exactly what's the bigger surprise. I think both of these are things we probably should have expected just knowing how kind of how Goff performed at the end of the season and also how well Belichick and the Patriots, uh, you know, prepare for these games. Yeah, I think those are good points, too. And as you talk, it makes me think back to just how dominant they were, especially in the first halves of their games with San Diego and with Kansas City. Granted, Kansas City got things going in the second half, but they definitely Mm -hmm. played a lot of good football. Uh, one thing that had me worried as a Patriots fan was when Patrick Chung came out, but there really was not much of a difference at all after he exited. There were a couple of plays, uh, Brandon Cooks got into the end zone. I think there might've been a missed coverage and McCordy made that great play to, uh, to disrupt it. But yeah, I mean, we, this was basically a game. There were just not many explosive type of plays made. And it was interesting because it felt like if the Rams could have just strung together maybe two or three high yardage plays, they really could have run away with this thing in a game that I think would have been lucky to come away with a win. You know, when you look at time of possession and things of that nature, but definitely with a couple of big plays, they could have left champions. For sure. And I mean, they had a lot of opportunities, a lot of plays that were almost catches that uh, didn't go that way, didn't go their way. Like, uh, Cooks almost catching that touchdown and then getting knocked out by McCarty, like you said. So, yeah, I think uh, they had a lot of opportunities and uh, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's just a hard game to watch when there are so many missed opportunities and um, a lot of a lot of drives ending in punts. But yeah, for sure. I mean, when you have Goskowski missing a 43 yarder and then Zerline mm-hmm. missing, I mean, it was an odd situation that he was kicking in, but just when you see him miss, it's always surprising. Um, yeah. But I think the biggest question from a fantasy perspective, and, and one of the things that people will still be talking about as they look back on these playoffs is what's going on with Todd Gurley. I mean, should this concern us heading into next season? I guess you kind of have to frame, the reason that he was limited in the playing time. So do you think that it's an injury? Do you think there might be something more going on there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I kind of don't think that uh, there might be an injury going on. I mean, of course, everything the Rams are saying is that he's totally fine and he doesn't look fine, or at least they're not using him as if he's fine. But we've also seen him kind of get phased out of games like this in the past, in the regular season when he was healthy. So uh, this is another kind of outcome that I think... You know, it's not necessarily something we should have predicted, but something that you can look back and say, yeah, kind of maybe that makes sense. I mean, for it to happen so often in the playoffs is weird. And um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's something like he, you know, we were talking about this actually on the pod that Hassan and I did with Peter Overs at recently. And and he brought up the idea that maybe Gurley hasn't looked himself in practice maybe uh 
he hasn't, um, you know, been performing as well as Anderson is. So they're just kind of going with the hot hand. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't even, uh, I don't even really know how to answer. I don't think that he's injured, but who knows? <laughs> I, I hear you. I mean, it's really hard to decipher exactly what is going on. I think that one of the things that points to the possibility of him being limited in some capacity is that they did not make much of an effort to get him involved in the passing game last night, mm-hmm. which feels like something that perhaps they should have tried. I really don't remember them doing much at all to try to get him involved, maybe popping him outside on a screen um, or using him really as a receiver, which when they were struggling so much, you think that they might try that to some extent. Um, But given that it's hard for us to really know if this is an injury or if this is him struggling in some capacity, for me, I don't think I'm going to overreact to this going into the next season. I still think he's one of the, well, he is one of the best running backs in the league. The talent is certainly there. It's a great offensive situation. Um, I mean, I suppose if I'm comparing him to a guy like Saquon Barkley, um, perhaps when we figure out the situation with Le'Veon Bell. Uh, or any of these other top backs, I might consider slating them ahead of Gurley in my drafts next season. Are you kind of with me there, or is, or is this going to give you a little bit more pause? Yeah, I don't think this would have me moving him down my rankings at all. I mean, I probably already had Barkley ahead of him going into next year, even before this. Um, so I don't think it will make a difference. Um Kind of like you said, I don't want to overreact. I mean, there are guys who I have kind of in the same tier as Gurley. Maybe he would slide behind Zeke for me. Maybe, uh, you know, I have him kind of in the same, right on the same level as McCaffrey. So I don't know. I would maybe put McCaffrey ahead of him at this point. Um, But yeah, still a top running back. And I don't think that you can really let him slip (laughs) too far past the early first round. So, um, yeah, I agree. I wouldn't overreact. Yeah. I I mean, I I don't believe in CJ Anderson long term. So (laughs) yeah, no, you don't, you don't think, you don't think he's a generational talent. (laughs) No, not quite. (laughs) So on the other side of the field, we had Sony Michelle finishing a strong rookie campaign regular season. He had 209 carries averaged 4.5 yards per 931 yards, six touchdowns, add seven more in the playoffs. He doesn't play a major role in the passing game, which is one thing that people were kind of hoping he'd be able to add into his game for the Pats as the season went along. Uh, But nonetheless, I mean, I think it was a solid rookie season. Where do you think that he should be drafted next season? Is he a second rounder, third rounder, fourth rounder? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think if I'm looking for a running back to take in the second round, it would have to be someone who's going to catch passes. So I wouldn't take him that early. Um, When you first asked the question, fourth round just jumped into my head without me really reflecting on it too much. So that's maybe where I would put him. Um, Third round probably makes sense. Uh, you know, I haven't gotten too much into, <laughs> into, uh, drafts so far for, uh, 2019. So I'm sure I'll have more opinions when I actually start drafting some teams, but, um, but yeah, I think third or fourth round makes some sense. Um, I mean, he's probably someone I'm going to be avoiding next year, to be honest, but, uh, <laughs> just because I know there are going to be guys in that range that I, I like more than him. So, um, yeah, I think if you're a big Michelle fan, you could take him in the third or fourth. I think that, uh, that might even be a little, a little rich, but it probably is where he's going to end up going. If not, maybe late second, even for sure. I think for me, my gut reaction was the fourth round is where I would start to think about it. Having said that, like you, I would probably end up going 
with different options for the reason that you said being the lack of the pass catching or the lack of involvement in the passing game. And for me, what it really comes down to even beyond that is yes, he's a player that has tremendous potential if everything went his way, but he's still playing alongside a number of talented backs that can all do a number of things and do them really well. So the range of outcomes in which he slates into this role that allows him to outperform um, even a fourth round type of, of, of draft pick, that is not as large as there might be with some of these other players that you're going to get in that same spot. So yes, the potential is there for him to have a great season, but as history has shown us and and if we're looking for a realistic range of outcomes, it seems like in his distribution, There's many situations where he could fall behind that four. I think he'll probably have a couple of monster games throughout the season, but we can't forget about James White, who they they can go back to in the game plan. Rex Burkhead makes it very hard on defenses to know what to expect. So I'm not quite there going uh, beyond round four with Michelle. Yeah, and actually... Uh, Neil Dutton wrote an article that just published today kind of comparing Sony Michelle's uh, rookie season to his like historical comps. And uh, one thing that was interesting, I mean, the comps aren't really that great if we're <laughs> I'm trying to pull it up right now. Um, but it's not it's a lot of players who also didn't catch passes. Andre Williams, LeGarrette Blunt, Jonathan Stewart, and then Chris Wells were the guys that he mentioned. So nobody who really caught passes, nobody who even had a really long productive career, except maybe Jonathan Stewart. But um, and LeGarrette Blunt has had about two seasons of of relevance. But uh, the other thing he pointed out in that article is that even in this rookie season that was really pretty good, Michelle. Michelle's highest finish in any week was running back eight, I think. So, um, you know, even as the the uh, goal line back on a high powered offense, you're still not quite seeing the upside that you would hope to get from him. Uh, So, yeah, there are, I think, like you said, a lot of risks and maybe the upside is not there as much as we would like to think. I mean, on the other case, on the other hand, you know, you know he could have a LeGarrette Blunt season where he scores 18 touchdowns and then you would be, <laughs> uh, you, know, you would love to get him in the fourth round. So, yeah. Who knows? But, you know, also that, that makes me want to point out the fact that we can't forget that Burkhead was gone for so much of the season. That definitely would mm-hmm. have impacted mm-hmm. the production we, we would have seen from him. And they did not really have a major touchdown scorer in the passing game because Gronk wasn't that guy this season. Gordon wasn't there for a long stretch, never really had the chance to step into that role. Now, there are some things that could transpire in free agency too that might make it harder for him to be the sole focus on the goal line. Of course, that's very speculative at this point as it doesn't seem like a Patriot type of move to you know make a big splash in free agency but they are going to have philip dorsett going they're going to have hogan going we have to see what happens with gronkowski so they may be forced to put some type of new exciting body um, into their kind of goal line attack there but that stuff that we'll get to later on um in the show um real quickly i'm trying to think of oh yeah I, i wanted to mention this you know the whole game last night and i don't know if i need to let this go so you can tell me at this point do i need to let it go the fact that the patriots took sony michelle because i'm just thinking man what could darius geis have done with that hole what would nick chubb who was there supporting his former teammate have done with that hole and i'm still salty that they made the pick on michelle yeah what would philip Lindsay have done with that hole they drafted him in the seventh round oh oh, oh my <laughs> gosh yes yeah i mean uh, I don't know. It's so hard to make these judgments now when, you know, they're coming off a Super Bowl win where Michelle is basically the hero. But <laughs> I mean, just based on what what we see, I mean, like with Lindsay or even what we see going on on the other side of the ball with C.J. Anderson in Los Angeles, you know that you can get this kind of production from uh, someone <laughs> that you didn't spend a first round pick on. LeGarrette Blunt was undrafted and they did the exact same thing with him a few years ago. So, um yeah, I still 
I still think the pick doesn't make sense. And, um, you know, I don't know. Belichick gets a reputation for being kind of a genius, but this was, this was a head scratcher. Yeah, it was. And, and I know we've talked about it so much, or at least I have, but it really went back to that. I think that, um, there were a better options there. B, they didn't really need mm-hmm. it. And, uh, <laughs> C, they've had so much success with so many different backs that it feels, they're like the perfect example of how sure running back can matter in the context of a game, but what doesn't matter quite as much as who is who is actually playing the position. So it, it's still a head scratcher, but I'll digress because I've wasted too much <laughs> of the people's time out there. Uh, excluding Saquon Barkley, uh, which sophomore back, obviously Michelle, Philip Lindsay included, are you most excited about next season? Uh, yeah, I, well, I'll say I was on Philip Lindsay really early because he was such a standout in the workhorse score and in the backfield dominator. So he's someone I've really liked for a long time. I was, you know, extremely happy to see how well he played this year. So I'm hoping for even more big things next year. I'm hoping that uh, his injury is not something that's going to affect his uh, long-term ability to play. Um, So he's someone I'm definitely excited to see. The other guy would probably be Nick Chubb. I know he didn't catch a lot of passes in college, but uh, he looked really great as a runner. I think Cleveland is an offense that is ascending. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what they can do with him. Maybe get him a little bit more involved in the passing game. Although I, I still, uh, <laughs> I still am waiting for Duke Johnson to have a, <laughs> another big season. So it's tough, but yeah, those are probably the two guys I'm most excited to see. Um, you know, I was a big Rashad Penny fan, uh, last off season and, uh, you know, the Seahawks have kind of wasted him. So, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe they'll come to their senses in 2019, but I'm not really holding out hope for that. So yeah, we'll see. As you know, I was a big Nick Chubb guy. I'm going to throw one of my Mm -hmm. favorite Nick Chubb stats here, uh, among many, which is 18 receptions, his freshman season. And then they kind of worked him out of that particular role. But I do believe that he can catch. um, And I think we're going to start to see more of that. The player that I'm most excited about seeing, I talked about a couple minutes ago, Darius Geis. It was such a bummer Mm -hmm. that we did not get to see him in the first season. So I'm still just interested to see what he can do in an NFL offense. Um, against that superior competition and hopefully the injury uh, will be all cleared up. I guess the good thing is he had time on his side with it happening uh, before we even saw him uh, take a snap in a regular season game. So Blair, you mentioned Philip Lindsay. You definitely put me on to him, made me aware of him in a couple of pieces last year. And it's analysis and insight like that, which is why Everyone listening needs to go and get that Rotoviz subscription. I've said it a couple of times, but a lot of the work that Blair does in the wrong read, looking at trends with college prospects, just so many different things really justifies just those articles alone, your subscription to Rotoviz. So make sure that you go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast and get a 30% only listener discount to your NFL subscription and all of our content and tools. We are already working uh, extremely hard on putting together an awesome suite of content and tools for 2019. So again, go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcasts and get that listener only 30% discount to the NFL subscription. Uh, I'll also mention too that uh, we have a really awesome NASCAR offering too that you can go to the site and look into if you're interested in expanding. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from 1999 polos from 1699 find your nearest store or shop online only at banana republic factory love a good deal sail into the season at banana republic factory's mega labor day sale entire store 50 to 70 percent off dresses from 1999 polos from 1699 find your nearest store or shop online only at banana republic factory your uh, fantasy horizon 
45% of the Rams plays on offense went for negative or zero yards. I've heard, I've heard (laughs) thrown around Blair, which is nuts. That is not what we saw from the Rams the majority of the season. And I'm looking forward to seeing Cooper cup get back into the offense. Uh, But Josh Reynolds kind of was forced into a role down the stretch with cup out. Uh, I have a two-parter for you here. In what order should Rams receivers be drafted in 2019? And is there any possibility of Reynolds having fantasy value with Cup back? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think if Cup is healthy, he would be the top option um, on this offense. I mean, leading up to his injury, he was basically a top I want to say like top 10 receiver, probably even better than that. I don't remember exactly, but um, the way they use him around the red zone, or at least the way they did, I think gives him a pretty big advantage over the other guys. So he would be the first guy I would be looking to draft. And then Woods and Cooks are probably about even after that. Um, Yeah, Reynolds is someone I actually like, and I would hope to see him have some have a role somewhere, but it's really hard to see it on this offense without injuries or without some sort of uh, some sort of personnel moves. So, um, yeah, I'm not optimistic for kind of Reynolds having value next season, unfortunately. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, unfortunately, like you, I, I do like Reynolds, but I don't see any real way in which he can become a weekly fixture, the type of guy that you can really rely on. It's going to have to be uh, with an unfortunate injury to somebody else in that receiving core. So naturally, you slate him in fourth. I'm with you. I think that Cup is going to be the receiver that you want to own. Uh, yeah, he was on a great pace and I think the role that he can play in that offense is going to carry through the next season. They'll benefit from him being back. So for me, he's far and away the top option there. He's a guy I'm probably going to be considering in the third or the fourth round. I just really like him. Then with Woods and Cooks, it's really hard for me to discern who the next option is, but I really think like I would draft them in a similar range, but I would actually take Woods first, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a lot of woods this season and that was mainly because he was the, (laughs) excuse me, he was the receiver that was the cheapest this season. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, going into this season, it was a lot harder to project how this offense would work out. I think with cooks coming in, we didn't exactly know how he would fit into the offense. So it made sense to just go after the cheapest guy. And uh, at least with Cooks and Woods going to 2019, maybe that could work again. Maybe whoever you can get later is is the guy to to uh, target there. But yeah, it's hard to, hard to pick between them. I think, um, I mean, we've seen both of them have, have huge games. And uh, so... Yeah, it's really a toss up for me and I'll probably just get whichever guy is cheaper. (laughs) Yeah, actually, that's probably the right answer, the way to approach this, uh, (laughs) which we'll start to find out soon. I mean, best ball drafts are going to be starting. So pretty soon we'll have an idea, at least uh, fresh off of 2018, what drafters are thinking there. Um, So I'll be interested to see how that plays out. Uh, so you alluded to this, you've been, uh, keeping track of some DFS, uh, throughout the playoffs. Did you have any major lessons learned about playing DFS specifically in the playoffs that you want to share? Um, I don't know if they, uh, apply specifically to the playoffs. Um, you know, in the playoffs, obviously you can only play short slates, uh, you know, basically four or two game slates and they are, you have those during the regular season, but I have not been playing a lot of them hardly at all. Um, so kind of diving into playoff DFS, uh, really this is the first year I've kind of done it semi-seriously and, um, 
so it's basically the first time I've had to really focus on doing these short slates. And it actually, um, in a way kind of, well, it makes, uh, the decisions easier in a way, uh, just because obviously there are fewer players that you have to consider, but it kind of gives you more freedom to like go off the board. So in that way, it's, it's pretty fun. And I probably am going to be, uh, trying to play more short slates during the regular season next year just to see if I can kind of leverage anything that I've learned uh, during the playoffs into into the regular season next year kind of keep the momentum going so yeah I don't know if that's any lesson or even a valuable takeaway (laughs) just something I'm maybe changing about the way I'm approaching things but uh, yeah I don't know yeah no did you do any DFS during uh, playoffs I I didn't actually Um, I kind of wish that I had though Um, and I also wish that I'd gotten more into the playoff challenges um, as I listened to you guys, uh, this was actually my next question. Um, you guys, uh, being Hassan and, uh, Pete Overzet, uh, on the, uh, Rotoviz report last week, we're talking about how you guys put your teams together, uh, and all of the different things that you were thinking of. And I kind of wish that I'd gotten more involved in that. So to kind of wrap things up for you guys, how did things finish up? Did you guys finish in the money, um, in any of these leagues and maybe, you know, changes to your approach that you'll take next season? Yeah. Yeah. This was a really fun contest. Um, Hassan and I entered three lineups just ourselves. And then we also put in two other lineups with, uh, Peter Overzet and Pat Corain. So basically four, four ways, uh, four way split on two lineups. And it was one of those lineups that we split four ways that ended up winning a, uh, $350 football guys championship entry. So, um, not quite enough to (laughs) make back our, our entry fees yet, but when we win, you know, whatever it is in the football guys championship, then it'll be worth it. So basically everybody just should not enter that because you guys are just going to steamroll the competition next year. Yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah, so that was fun. It's, uh, it'll be interesting to kind of manage a four person team for, uh, the whole season. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, Yeah, in terms of things that we wish we had done better, I think we mentioned it on the pod, but basically, you know, one thing I remember specifically is how we we had all these plans going in about how we were going to correlate our lineups and stuff. And then you make a little change to one and then you start tinkering with all the rest to try and make things fit. Uh, Hassan and I were doing this until like 2 a.m. And by the end of the night, you know, nothing is exactly how we had how we had pictured it so we got got uh, kind of away from our game plan a little bit I mean I think we were happy with the lineups we ended up entering but I think that we could try harder to be uh, more intentional about sort of our overall exposure to players and uh, how our lineups are correlated kind of within each lineup um, so yeah I mean that's something it's maybe a little more preparation that we need to do for, uh, next season. But, uh, yeah, uh, it was definitely a fun experience and definitely looking forward to doing it again next year. So yeah, hopefully we can, hopefully we can do even better. Yeah. I thought one of the interesting things too is, um, I found I was only in a um, league that I'm in, um, you could get extra money for your, you know, like fake salary cap, if you will, for next season, mm-hmm. if you win the um, like playoff contest that we had in that league. And okay. I found myself not considering a large enough player pool. Right. Mm-hmm. So like I wasn't thinking about how I could differentiate myself by going maybe with the team's wide receiver two or wide receiver three. Like, uh, you know, perfect example was. I went DeAndre Hopkins, you know, Kiki was the correct player to go with week one. And so next season, I think I'm going to try to consider other ways that things could play out than just going with the team's most obvious choice and then going across the positions in a way that I think makes sense, especially if you're in the type of competition where there's a lot of teams entering um, different, you, you know, like you have people entering multiple lineups and stuff like that. 
So like listening to you guys talk made me just think about different ways that I could approach it. Like you said, going through some of the correlations. Um, and yeah, it was interesting to get to that, the heart of a contest like that. It's sometimes finding ways to differentiate yourself and, and not limiting yourself to this small player pool. Yeah, exactly. In fact, on our team that ended up cashing, we had uh, Damian Williams as one of our running backs. And uh, the rules of the contest are you can only use one player from each team. So, uh, you know, Williams ended up being, I think, less than 5% owned, obviously, because everyone wanted to roster either Mahomes or or Kelsey or uh, Tyreek Hill. So uh, he ended up being, yeah, a really good leverage play that kind of you know, made our lineup get into the money basically with his, uh, I can't, I think he had two touchdowns in, in, uh, maybe that Patriots game. I can't even remember now, but I um, think he did. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. You know, he was heavily involved. So, yeah. So that was one that really worked out. We said on the pod that we should have been paying more attention to, uh, Sony Michelle who ended up coming in, I think at less than 2% ownership. And, um, <laughs> you know, but it was just so obvious down the stretch in the regular season. And as you're putting together DFS lineups in the playoffs, even that Michelle is really the guy that the Patriots want to use, especially early in the game um, against these offenses that can put up a lot of points. They want to kind of drain the clock as much as possible. And Michelle lets them do that. So uh, it's really an oversight that we didn't kind of consider him more, but I think that goes to what you're saying about, about kind of expanding your player pool and considering options that are going to give you some leverage over the rest of the field. Yeah, for sure. Um, and also I will say just the thought of you and Hassan up to like two in the morning, like working on these lineups <laughs> cracks me up just because Hassan, I always find no matter what you're talking with him, about in fantasy he's like one of the most passionate excited people about fantasy so i like I, i'm surprised he was even able to slow himself down and like cut things <laughs> off at two and submit them i really am yeah i probably said okay we have to go to bed now, so. <laughs> so these are our lineups oh that's yeah. awesome all right no it was a lot of fun i'm gonna throw a question here at you that is not on our show sheet um well first of all actually what what team do you support uh, NFL wise, I believe you're located in Maryland. I am. I am a Ravens fan. Uh, sometimes a, you know, kind of <laughs> half hearted one just because of what they are doing with their offense in a lot of ways. But uh, <clears throat> fantasy changes the way you kind of approach your home team for sure. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. So one of the big conversations nationally right now is whether or not Julian Edelman has any case to even be considered for the Hall of Fame. Some people think that it's a definite. Some people don't. The first part of the debate goes down to is if postseason production should matter in the Hall of Fame debate. Do you have an opinion on that? Um, I don't have a strong opinion. I did see one tweet that said basically Juju Smith-Schuster has almost half of Julian Edelman's regular season yards and regular season touchdowns. <laughs> and he's only been playing two seasons. So, I mean, if, uh, you know, <laughs> Smith Schuster is like 22 and Edelman is already in his, uh, I want to say he's, he's 30 almost 30. Maybe I think, he already he's, is I think 30. he's 32. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So well into his 30. So yeah, he doesn't have the sort of career that you would expect to see of a Hall of Fame wide receiver. I mean, I certainly understand and appreciate the argument that says that the postseason should matter more than uh, than the regular season. And uh, he definitely has performed in a lot of postseason games. It feels like it's kind of an overreaction, though, to this one really good game in the Super Bowl. Yeah. What's your take on it? No, I, I agree with you there. I think it's interesting in that there's two ways I feel like people want to use the Hall of Fame across all sports. Either they want to use it kind of as a repository for history, which in the case mm -hmm. of Edelman now, he definitely has his place in the history of the NFL being part of these historic Patriots teams, playing with Tom Brady, making big plays in the most important games of the season. But there's another camp of people that want to use the Hall of Fame as a way to recognize the best players in a sport. And I think it's mm -hmm. interesting because we see a lot of debates like this that happen across things in real life where 
people are disagreeing on a particular isolated incident, but it's because they're not really agreeing on like the larger definition or they're almost arguing without a concrete, um, like defined tangible thing. And I think that's what you're seeing in the hall of fame Mm -hmm. debate. I think my personal take would be that Edelman probably shouldn't be a hall of famer based upon the whole body of work, great player, great career and the postseason helps, but I don't think just because the postseason is there and you happen to have these big games, especially in such a high variant sport like football, that that necessarily qualifies you. I could see maybe a stronger case in a sport like basketball where you have numerous seven game series and a lot larger work from which you can draw evidence to kind of make the distinction of if a player should get into the Hall of Fame or not. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. And the other thing that's a little bit, um, I don't know if it's ironic, but it's interesting is that, uh, you know, probably the sport in which you have the most heated debates about Hall of Fame, people who should be in the Hall of Fame is in baseball, where um, guys are kept out just for for breaking the rules, basically, for, uh, you know, PED suspensions, which is exactly what Edelman missed games for <laughs> earlier in the season. So, um, yeah, it's just some kind of uh, <laughs> incongruity there between, I guess, the the NFL, uh, the, the discussion surrounding the NFL Hall of Fame versus what you get in at least one other sport. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess there was a I wish I could remember the name of the writer. I believe it was in USA Today. Uh, but there was an author that was kind of making the claim and it wasn't really, I think people took it the wrong way. She was saying that Edelman shouldn't even have been playing in the Super Bowl uh, because of the PED suspension. But I think if you, if you looked into the piece, the larger referendum was just on the way that the NFL operates, um, mm-hmm. being that, you know, it's more of like a slap on the wrist and it's kind of tolerated, whereas in a sport like baseball, and I don't follow baseball closely enough to know this, but I guess if you'd had the PD, the PED suspension, you wouldn't be allowed to play in the playoffs, uh, which I thought was kind of an interesting distinction. Yeah, well, PED suspensions in baseball are often, uh, I don't know if they often last for a whole season, but certainly well over half a season. Yeah, yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, but, you know, I think... <laughs> It's it's very different in the way that people approach baseball, like you said, with the Hall of Fame yep. example uh, as yep. well. So nonetheless, we have now seen uh, the Patriots win their sixth Super Bowl title, which I'll have a lot of fun saying. Um, but it was quite a uh, quite a season. And I'm going to close with this and you, you can give me your take on here. I think with everything said and done, I still believe that the biggest storyline of the whole season has to just be how dominant Patrick Mahomes was finishes the season with the MVP and it's really looking like it's going to be his league for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. Um, totally agree on that. Um, would you take him number one overall in a super flex league? <laughs> oh, I like it. Throwing back a good question. Um, <laughs> you know what? I want to be contrarian and say that I wouldn't, but I really on the spot here without thinking about it more, can't come up with a reason that I wouldn't because I don't expect much of a drop off at all. We're always going to want to talk about regression and especially with a season like this, but I think it's possible with Mahomes that even if this season is his best of the next three or of the next four, this is still closer to what we're going to see from him season in and season out. Uh, especially when he has Tyree kill there, Travis Kelsey's playing under Andy Reid. I just think it sets up really well. Do you agree with that or would you still maybe pivot off of that play? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I honestly don't know how I would answer. He would be really hard to pass up. Um, I can see a case definitely for taking him there. I, you know, I'm even someone who, even in super flex leagues, I don't like to draft QBs early. So it would be, it would be off, uh, a little bit off brand for me, but, but he would be hard to pass up for sure. Well, the, the other great thing about Mahomes though, and how strong of a season he had is you might see, especially with casual players, the opposite effect of what we should see from this season, whereas we should recognize that there were so many quarterbacks that put up really good numbers, were good contributors to your team, but there were so many of them that you didn't need to worry about which quarterback it was. But because Mahomes was so awesome, people are going to want him 
I think they're going to overdraft him, which can then in a lot of drafts permeate into more quarterbacks getting overdrafted, which works out for players like us. Yeah, that's true. So on that note, unless you have a different storyline that you think kind of sums up this season, uh, we can close down. Uh, storyline that sums up this season. I mean, no, there's no story that beats Mahomes. <laughs> yeah, there really, there really isn't. Other ones that I, you know, would have liked to. It, it, well, I guess if Mahomes didn't have the season that he did, maybe we'd be talking more about McCaffrey or about Barkley or even James Conner. Granted, he got injured down the down towards the end of the season. So yeah, there's no escaping that this really was the season of Mahomes. Yeah. It's so funny that you bring that up because Mahomes obviously did, you know, what he did, but Barkley just had kind of quietly the best rookie running back season basically ever. Um, so I mean, yeah, you could easily make a case that, that he should be the biggest storyline and he is probably, I don't know, the best, uh, the top fantasy option for, I don't know, at least the foreseeable future. But, um, yeah, it was a definitely a great season and, uh, it's going to be hard for 2019 to top it. I'm afraid, but I'm hopeful. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it always, it always feels that way. Uh, but Blair, thank you for coming on, on short notice. Um, everybody make sure to go and check out, uh, Blair's work. Um, you know, in addition to being a tremendous editor, he's always just putting out, in my opinion, some of the best uh, fantasy analysis out there. Um, so make sure that he is on your reading list. And uh, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. My co-host was Blair Andrews, who you can follow at MI the Real Blair. Did I get that right, Blair? You did. Yes. Oh, nice. Uh, this is <laughs> this has been Rotoviz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. You shouldn't go to Barnes & Noble and buy 10,000 books just so you can build a book fortress and yell out, I am your book leader. You shouldn't buy 147 copies of War and Peace, stuff them inside turkeys and serve them at Thanksgiving as Terbukens. And you definitely shouldn't buy up all the copies of Dork Diaries, causing the neighborhood kids to stage a protest in your front yard. But you could. Because at the Barnes & Noble Book Hall, you can get over a 1,000 titles for 50% off. Stock up at your local Barnes & Noble. Turbukens are fictitious and should not be cooked at home. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.